Hi, you're listening to It Happened to Me, a rare disease and medical challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is how we adapt. That's the focus of It Happened to Me, which wants to help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, co-hosts Kathy Gildenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me, I'm not alone, and neither are you. We are honored to welcome Leslie Waldman to It Happened to Me. Leslie Waldman is Director of Consumer and Physician Engagement at Johns Hopkins Medicine. During the last four decades, she has served Johns Hopkins in many capacities, including Director of Strategic Marketing, Director of Competitive Strategy for Johns Hopkins Medicine, and as Director for Public Affairs for the Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health. Throughout her career, Leslie has blended strategic planning and marketing public affairs, and consumer health education to affect change and motivate consumers towards healthier living. Resulting programs have included community-based screening programs for both Tay-Sachs and lead poisoning, the award-winning health portfolio, A Woman's Journey, and strategic marketing programs for women's health. And there's so much more to her credit. But on that, we'll turn to Beth. Leslie Wallman has a master's in science in health education from the Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health and a BA from the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. Today, we are going to discuss pancreatic cancer with our guest, Leslie Wallman who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer 10 years ago. Pancreatic cancer is the fourth most common cause of cancer death in the United States. So Leslie, I wanna thank you so much for being a guest today on It Happened to Me. We met about 10 years ago when I decided to get involved with A Women's Journey, which is the Johns Hopkins Medicine sponsored women's health program. I am now the co-chair of the Washington area region of this wonderful organization. And I want to encourage our listeners to attend a women's journey. Guests get to hear from medical researchers who are actually doing the work. These are Johns Hopkins doctors. And I promise you, you will find it is well worth your time. So you can learn more by looking at our show notes or searching Hopkins Medicine, A Woman's Journey. So when we hear the term pancreatic cancer, we tend to think it's a death sentence. However, my friend Leslie has been living with this disease for 10 years. And when I say she's fully functional, she is more than fully functional. As you heard in her bio, she has a very active work life, as well as a very busy personal life. With her husband, her children, and her grandchildren, part of her family lives in California, far from her home in Baltimore, 
So she has a bi-coastal life. Leslie, can I ask you a question I've never asked you before? How do you manage all this? How do you manage this full-time job, your family, your children, and your grandchildren, and your cancer? Uh, I'm very organized, and I have a clean calendar. <laughs> and I believe you want to do something, you just get up and you do it. And I have to say that working full-time has helped to get me through the cancer and subsequent illnesses because it really occupies my mind. That makes such sense. Well, if we could, Leslie, let's start at the beginning with typical symptoms of pancreatic cancer. I know they include jaundice, pain, diabetes, weight loss and loss of appetite, oily stools, dark urine, and fatigue. Leslie, did you experience any of these symptoms? And if so, what appeared first? Yes, I did experience several of those symptoms, but you look at them in isolated manners. You don't often put them together to paint a complete picture of what's going on. And for example, I realized after I was diagnosed that I had a change in my bowels. Uh, but I had a dramatic onset of diabetes six months before my diagnosis, and that really got my attention. Uh, we had opened the hospital's new buildings that spring, and I was uh, part of the opening and was responsible for gifting uh, things and helping with the transition for pediatrics as well as adults, and I was exhausted. But I, again, wrote the fatigue off to the work I was doing and didn't think about it. Um, the funny thing is I lost weight, but I was trying to lose weight. And I thought, ah, finally, after all these years, I figured out the right ratio between carbs and protein. And I figured that that's why I was losing weight. Uh, mm -hmm. before the diagnosis. And then finally, I did become jaundiced the night before I was diagnosed. Wow. Now, pancreatic cancer is difficult to diagnose, as the symptoms listed above could be many other illnesses. And you don't know uh, initially, sometimes what's connected and how to lump them all together. But in addition, the pancreas is hidden beneath a number of organs like the stomach, the small intestine, the gallbladder, and the spleen, the liver, and bile ducts. Leslie, did your doctor have trouble diagnosing your illness? I think my diagnosis is a really interesting story. Um, six months or so before I was diagnosed, I had uh, my annual well checkup and I was with my physician. And I said, listen, I've been thinking about it. Um, my parents and a lot of my relatives have had cancer and often cancers that are difficult to diagnose. And 10 years ago, as um, head of marketing for Hopkins, when we brought in the heart scan, uh, the thinking was that if you did a CT and looked at the heart and you could see calcification, you could identify those patients who were at risk for heart disease. Um, mm -hmm. I was asked to have a full body scan so I could be able to talk about it more intelligently. 
And so I asked my doctor if I could please have a CT scan. I wanted him to order one because I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any quiet cancers brewing in my body. And wow, that was very yeah, great self-initiative. Mm -hmm. But he he denied the CT. He was oh. afraid of me being exposed to too much radiation, which I laugh at after 10 years of CTs, um, and instead oh. proposed that I have an ultrasound. And it was only later that I learned that you can't really visualize the pancreas very well on ultrasound. On ultrasound. Mm. So I missed that opportunity. Um, during that exam, they did an A1C, which you know is the average of your the blood sugar in your body to detect diabetics. And my sugar level was sitting at six, which is kind of the threshold if you're over six mm -hmm. diabetic. Right. Yeah. But um, six months later, I happened to be out in California. And I started getting leg cramps at night and during the day. And my son started buying all the tonic water we could get off of shelves in the grocery store. And I was on a banana diet and none of this potassium seemed to make any difference. So when I got mm -hmm. home, I went to see my doctor. And uh, when I went back to get the results after some lab work, they told me I was diabetic and I was mm -hmm. stunned. My th my A1C jumped from 6.0 to 13.5. Oh, wow. No. In six oh, my. months. In six months? Six oh, my months. goodness. And I wanted to know what caused that sudden jump. And what did yeah. the doctor say? Uh, the doctor said, let's do some tests and eliminate some things. I said, well, what could it be? What are you concerned about? And he said, um, I'm concerned about several things, one of which is so horrific. I don't even want to tell you what it was. Mm. Of course, that was pancreatic cancer. Right. Uh -huh. So I had um, the lab work. Nothing came back positive. And before he prescribed the CT, they began to treat the diabetes first with metformin. Well, when you have that kind of sudden um, jump Onset. change yeah. in your A1C, it's because your body suddenly stops producing insulin. Mm -hmm. And so metformin is not going to work. That's really for insulin resistance. Mm. And right. So eventually they got me on to insulin and I was on really um, excessively high doses of insulin to control the blood sugar. And so I had this diabetes and uh, once that was under control, I think he stopped exploring what could have been the cause of this, oh. but it really troubled me and it was difficult to manage. Um, and at that point, I really learned an important lesson. When there's a reasonable possibility of a deadly disease, don't waste time conducting mm -hmm. preliminary tests. Mm -hmm. Go to the definitive test. Had mm -hmm. I had a CT at that moment or six months earlier, I could have spared myself the next two months when we went through trying to figure out and manage the symptoms I was having. Um, there were questions I was never asked about stool and things like that, that are really important. Um, mm -hmm. 
in diagnosing pancreatic cancer. And as a matter of fact, uh, last year, I worked with some PhD students at the School of Nursing at Hopkins to try to better educate primary care physicians about the symptoms of pancreatic cancer and to go to a CT immediately. So, um, Which is what your instincts told you to do. Exactly. So two months later, in August, um, right after I had like 40 people at my house for a family reunion, um, I was really concerned still about the onset, the rapid onset of the diabetes. diabetes. And my symptoms were still troubling and I was beginning to get some other symptoms. So I developed perusis which is uncontrollable itching, like coming from the inside of your body. It's it's horrible. And um, as I said earlier, the day before I was diagnosed, I looked at myself and saw I was jaundiced. My husband and I had decided that I would go to some other physicians. So um, that morning, I called my dermatologist, who I knew professionally, And my endocrinologist, who I also had worked with for for 10 years and knew Mm. professionally, and I said to their offices, I know that you probably don't have any openings to see me today, but I'm coming in. Good for you. you Either book me in and over schedule, or you can wait till the end of the day when I will still be there waiting to talk to the doctor. And so the next morning I went to see these two physicians. I think immediately they knew what was wrong. They prescribed many of the same lab work. And at five o'clock that day, my phone began ringing off the hook because people were telling me my liver function was abnormal and I needed to go to the ER immediately. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Well, how long did it ultimately take then to get the diagnosis? How long were you going through this journey? um, I would say two months from the California incident when the diabetes was developed and my final diagnosis. Wow. And it's so good you took control of your, yes. you know, your health and yourself. And that's such a wonderful, valuable lesson for our audience that many times you are your own best advocate and don't just rely on the doctors. You know, that's the lesson of a women's journey. And yeah. that's why this conference has persisted for um, 29 years now. And it's really important that women are educated about things or get yourself educated so that you can be empowered and take control over things and contribute to your medical care. What a story. What a Mm -hmm. journey. So when I was in the ER, the attending came in and said, look, we think you have pancreatic cancer. Mm. I was stunned. And he said, we can either run some preliminary tests that won't be definitive, or we can just get the CT. So there was no question, but oh. my husband and I said, we're getting the CT. Yes. And they told me that the diagnosis was confirmed. How did you respond to the diagnosis? How um, did you process this news? It's hard to totally recall 10 years ago yeah. um, that I often want to put behind me. But I know when Bobby and I were alone in the exam room, I said to him, am I, am I dying? Mm-hmm. Is, is this a death sentence? 
And then I did what I do and I launched into action. And I learned about the disease, I engaged with PanCan. And then I thought to myself, what do I advise all the people who come to me who are recently diagnosed? What do I tell them to do? So I assured my family we were gonna have no regrets. We were gonna pursue every avenue that was available. Um, I called a friend who was a psychiatrist and set up appointments with her. I scheduled PT for while I was in the hospital. Um, I arranged home health care. I spoke with just close friends and family. Wow. Um, my daughter set up a message chain to keep people informed. And I lined up acupuncture, which is generally reimbursed for nausea from chemotherapy and helps with fatigue and can help with pain. I was not an avid acupuncture patient, but in this case, I thought it was it was appropriate to do that. And you just organize support and resources. It was a very big year for me because Katie Kirk was going to be our keynote speaker at a women's journey. I don't know if you uh, remember that year. Yes, I was I, there. Yeah, and it was it was quite quite a day. So. Um, my surgeon had come to see me and we had planned on Monday that I was going to have a stent put in my bile duct because that's what was causing the itching because it was blocked by the tumor. That was in the afternoon. And so I went to the head nurse and I said, I need a conference room and I need it this morning. Mm. And they gave me the floors conference room and I called my staff in. I was in a wheelchair and I said, listen, I'm in the hospital because I just got this diagnosis, but we have Katie Kerr coming and we've got to um, make arrangements for how things are going to work because I'm going to be out of commission for six weeks at least. Wow. So I delegated somebody to approve expenses. We figured out all the things that had to be done, who was going to do it, and how we were going to proceed for the next six months. You and are one strong, organized, capable you, woman. Leslie, this is remarkable because, <laughs> you know, to take the news of your diagnosis and then turn it into a call for action is basically, it sounds like what you did. And you ticked off a number of things that you did that other guests have talked about. Therapy, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, physical therapy, um, you talked about acupuncture. Um, I don't know if you did any meditation, but you talked about support groups. All these things are helpful when you have a diagnosis for anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that your response, am I going to die, is also something that um, our listening audience can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, how do you deal with this news, but take it head on? Leslie, I, um, I'm always in awe of you, but no more than today <laughs> and listening to how you've handled yourself at this uh, such a difficult time and why I think you're a survivor um, because you managed to get through it. Um, and I think that's a powerful message uh, to everyone. Um, so Leslie, what stage were you in when you were diagnosed? Did they give you a stage? 
Um, they thought I was one or one A, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, okay. The, the head of CT at Hopkins, Dr. Elliot Fishman, who's a fantastic person and well-respected globally. Very well-known, yes. Yes. Um, was in New York shopping with his kids. And oh. uh, my doctor sent my CT to him. He pulled out his phone in the middle of FAO Schwartz oh. and called to tell me what he thought it was. He thought it was a neuroendocrine tumor, which often is not malignant, most often is not malignant. And so that news and the optimism of my surgeon helped me hmm. to be optimistic which is so important. You really have yes. to keep your spirits up and think positively. I think when you're going through any kind of experience. But I think knowing that there are people out there to help you, that it's not just only on your shoulders, but it sounds like uh, your husband, your children were there as support. And um, the pancreatic cancer group therapy, everything that you've mentioned, help you retain that uh, resilience. Um, yeah. I wondered if we could discuss treatments that you uh, went through once um, you were diagnosed. Um, you mentioned uh, surgery that they uh, put in a stint. Um, chemotherapy and radiation, was that also part of your treatment? Yes, I'm happy to talk about that. I do wanna make one point first, Beth, if you don't mind. No. Uh, I did have extraordinary support from my family. And the point I want to make is that somebody from my family, either my husband or my children, stayed in the hospital with me every night through all oh. my hospitalizations over the next 10 years. And wow. I think it's oh. critical for people to realize how important it is to have another ear in the room yes. when the house staff comes in at 4 or 5 a.m. and you're asleep. To, to listen and to take notes to what you're doing and to keep you um, from being isolated and lonely during the hospital hours, because that's really when dark thoughts can, can come your way. I think that's such an important message. Um, really that, that support group. Um, we've had other guests who have talked about this and who should be there with you, but certainly you can't do it all. Um, we all need someone to help us, even the most mighty of us and the strongest of us need a support group. And uh, your family is your most trusted uh, support group. Yeah. Boy, aren't you blessed that they were there Absolutely. And pitched in and all pitched in. So, so back to treatment. Yes. Um, I, from the very beginning, was a part of a clinical trial. I was, was going to ask you about that. I was yes. fortunate that I could have the Whipple and uh -huh. the treatment uh, protocol that I was on called to have the surgery as was initially done 10 years ago. You know, ago. Leslie, let me just interrupt for one second because mm -hmm. our listeners may not know what a Whipple is. So a Whipple okay. is a form of surgery where part of the uh, pancreas is taken out and other organs may be as well. Right. All or part of the um, pancreas. And yes. um Early, I, I guess probably around um, the middle of the 20th century or the middle to later in the 20th century, um, 
the Whipple could be a very deadly operation. And only, I think, somewhere around 10 to 20% of people survived the Whipple. Wow. And it was Dr. John Cameron, who remains at Hopkins, um, who took this procedure and redesigned the surgery and improved the outcome mm. so that people who were able to have it um, survived the surgery now, as opposed to earlier in that century. So um, that's amazing. But the clinical yes. trial I was on called for the Whipple procedure, which I was prepared to have anyway, followed by one week of stereotactic radiation. And mm -hmm. that multiplies the radiation effect that you have so that um, I only needed it for one week. And then following that, when you heal from the radiation, um, I went into chemotherapy and mm -hmm. they used a drug called Fofornox, which I'm pleased to say today is the standard of care and oh, it's a combination of four drugs. And then after finishing chemotherapy, you go on immunotherapy that was uh, particularly developed for pancreatic cancer with Dr. Bert Vogelstein and Dr. Liz Jaffe, also at Hopkins. And I was in a trial that was included uh, three initial shots of the immunotherapy, and then they were trying to see if a booster shot would be effective. And unfortunately, for reasons I'll talk about later, I never got the boosters. I just had the initial immunotherapy treatment. So we have talked about clinical trials um, on our podcast, and we've used the term double blind meaning that one group has the treatment and another group has a placebo. Is that what you experienced in your clinical trial? No, this was a little different. Um, it was a change in the protocol and an introduction of the immunotherapy or the boosters. Uh -huh. And they were going to compare the outcomes of those who participated in the clinical trials with those who did not or could not participate in the trials. And it sounds like this was an excellent idea, being in the clinical trial. Sounds like you've got uh, the state-of-the-art medicine. I think for something like pancreatic cancer or many other diseases, clinical trials offer um, hope. They offer the latest thinking and research. Um, they're tested before they get to large numbers of population in different phases and earlier phases, look to see if any harm is caused by a drug that they're introducing. So I felt safe taking the drug. The question was whether or not it was gonna be effective whether mm -hmm. it be effective, but you would wholeheartedly uh, recommend clinical trials. 
Yes. Sounds like it was a good experience. Yeah, there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov that lists all the clinical trials going on. And I think it behooves people to take a look at that site and see what clinical trials are available for the diagnosis that they have. Um, Was your trial successful in that generally for pancreatic cancer, this is one of the recommended courses of treatment? Mm -hmm. So um, I went through genetic counseling and I also had my DNA sequenced and um, they identified two mutations. Mutations often emerge because of what we call epigenetics, where your genes are impacted and can change and mutate because of your environment or your lifestyle. And I always uh, prided myself on exercise and a healthy diet. So I was surprised that that was the case. I bring this up because immunotherapy, they now know, is most effective when you have a heavy mutation load or burden. And the two mutations that I have would not really be touched by the immunotherapy is the thinking now. The genetics of pancreatic cancer. We know that BRCA2 increases your risk of having pancreatic cancer. And there's also well-founded concern among people who have had family members with pancreatic cancer. And Hopkins, and I'm sure other institutions may as well, focus two programs, one dealing with family members who have had a first-degree relative who has died of pancreatic cancer. And the other is looking at one of the precursors or pancreatic cyst. Not all pancreatic cysts turn into pancreatic cancer, but they've been able to to identify the DNA that that makes the difference. And so you can be followed either in a familial clinic or in one that looks at pancreatic cysts. The other thing I'd add is that after I finished the GEMBRAX they had figured that I had um, insufficient enzymes to replace the role of the pancreas in handling fat and other enzymes. And so they increased the enzyme replacements that I took every day and I felt fine, but I was still haunted by that growth near the the tumor bed and it was near the SMA, which is major artery. And the fact we were all confounded, the fact that it hadn't changed as cancer would. So I went to my oncologist and I went to my surgeon and I said, listen, I'm really troubled by the fact that we don't know what this is. And so we don't know how to treat it. I'd like to have a second exploratory surgery and I'd Mm -hmm. like you to see what what it is. So they both agreed. Um, My surgeon went in a second time. And he found that the site that everybody was troubled about was really scar tissue. And it was nothing. Oh, for goodness sake. Wow. But he went wow. into surgery with a nano knife, a microscopic little tool. Right. To clean up certain areas. And he found in my liver a small site that wasn't showing up on any of the CTs, but it was metastasis from the pancreatic cancer. And he eliminated that. 
Oh my God. That goodness. is so amazing. I think that that's why I'm alive today. Because of this request to go back in. Yes. And the other thing that is really important for people to adhere to is once you've had cancer, you get on a surveillance pattern. And I have periodic CTs to monitor myself. And I've done this since the diagnosis. And I think it's really important to continue to do. It's like having a mammogram every year. Uh And there also are tumor markers like a CA-19 that they run at that time. And is that standard or is that a Leslie? No, that's standard. (laughs) (laughs) That's standard. The CA-19 isn't always a valid marker. It can fluctuate in some people. It can um, really escalate in some people with pancreatic cancer and in other people it remains unchanged. But it's another piece of documented evidence. And I learned earlier today that they're now working on um, circulating DNA as another tool to help look to see if cancers return. So let's say after having these treatments, what were the side effects? Well, the furfuranox is a combination of four drugs. Yeah. One of them is a Tcan, which can cause cold reactions. Oh. So I will say for the six months that I was on the, the chemotherapy, I never opened my refrigerator. Oh. And I was careful not to drink anything cold. I was fatigued. You get into a rhythm where you know um, this chemotherapy, I'd be in the hospital all day on Wednesday. And then at the end of the day on Wednesday, they would uh, package it up and give me a little fanny pack and I'd go home with the chemotherapy for the next two days. Mm. And the end of Friday, a nurse would come and would take the chemotherapy off. Amazing. So you did it to yourself. So it was like every two weeks I was on treatment. And I came to know that on the Monday after the treatment, I was flat. I wasn't going to be able to do anything. I was uh totally um, exhausted and fatigued. And you planned for that. Yes, I planned for that. I never threw up from the chemotherapy. And I attribute in part the... Um, acupuncture for that. I was incredibly fortunate um, through no pursuit of my own. I ended up with a terrific acupuncturist who lives a block from me. So as I was finishing chemotherapy and they were taking it down on Friday because the timing was important, he appeared at my front door and acupuncture, acupuncture in our sunroom <laughs> so I felt that that really made a difference. Oh, wonderful. That's very good. That's really good to know. Today, a lot of the treatment has changed over the past decade. And now they believe that once you have pancreatic cancer that's been diagnosed and identified, that the cancer can continue to plant seeds of cancer throughout your body. And that's the purpose of chemotherapy is to rid the body of these seeds. So now in treatment, most patients are getting chemotherapy first. Some are getting radiation second, and then they have the surgery to remove the actual tumor. So I think that's really important for people to understand that that's the new order of treatment. I was going to say one thing that we know about pancreatic 
answer is that it's painful. How did you deal with the pain? Mm -hmm. I think that many people as a symptom experience either stomach or back pain. And I had not proceeded to a point where I was experiencing that pain. Um, I think the acupuncture helped. I didn't experience tremendous pain except for the recovery from the surgery. And of course, um, they will use ice packs or heat packs initially and um, different kinds of medications or drugs um, to help treat the pain initially. But once I was home, I was pretty much pain-free. Oh, good. Well, that's that's very good. So, Leslie, you also lost your hair. I finished treatment with the chemotherapy in May as my peonies appeared out front. Um, and I had to wait six weeks before I could go on to the immunotherapy. So during that period of time, we went to visit friends who have a house in Maine. And we drove up to Maine and I thought I must have eaten too much lobster and too many blueberries. Oh, on the way home from Maine, I started feeling not well and I oh. got pain in my stomach and I was very uncomfortable. And so when I came back, um, I had, of course, the immunotherapy shot. And then they thought perhaps I had some reoccurrence of the cancer. Mm. I see. And there was a site around where the Whipple had been performed that looked like extra tissue. They didn't know if it was a tumor or not. Mm. So the radiology thought I had recurrence. The oncologist said the only thing is that if it was cancer returning, it would be changing. It would be growing. We'd see different cells. We're not seeing any of that in your CTs. So we don't really know what it is but we decided that I should go on another round of chemotherapy. And this time I went on Gembrax, which is gemcitamine and Abraxane, which were um, the standard of care at that point, which I hadn't had. And the Abraxane, which was originally developed out in California for breast cancer is what caused me to lose my hair. And all I can say is that Leslie had the most wonderful wig, as beautiful as she is now. <laughs> she was beautiful with her wig, and she kept coming to meetings. Nothing stopped her. You wow. were just uh, a hero in my eyes. Leslie, I wanted to ask you um, your advice for people uh, who are listening. Um, there's no screening for pancreatic cancer, and you've talked a little bit about being aggressive. So what advice would you give to our listeners? And, and this is also, as you say, advice we give to our guests who come to a women's journey as women to advocate for ourselves. What would you say mm -hmm. to our listeners? Um, I, I have a couple of messages. I think yes. that you, you need to obviously be proactive. Um, I think that it's really important to take control um, you need to be at a center with a specialized team. 
I think that's important. It's easy to go online and put in pancreatic cancer or any other disease and see where a lot of the research is conducted and a lot of the work done. When I say specialized team, I don't mean a website that just says, come see our specialized team. I mean surgeons that do nothing but pancreatic cancer, oncologists who see only uh, pancreatic patients, um, nurses who take care of specialized patients with pancreatic cancer, geneticists who have devoted their lives to, to pancreatic cancer. And they form a fantastic team and they have a meeting every Tuesday where they discuss the cases in, in this multidisciplinary group. And so you're getting everybody's thinking and you're, you're benefiting from everyone's experience. And I think that's really important. I'd look at clinical trials and I'd really heed the message, as you said, of a women's journey. Educate yourself and advocate yourself and join your treatment team. Um, and those are really important. It's your life. There's a lot of research going on in the future, both in pancreas and in other cancers where there's no readily available diagnostic test. And at Hopkins, they've developed something called Cancer Seek. It's in, I think, the final clinical trials right now. And there are other, I'll call them products or diagnostic tools that are also being developed. And they use circulating tumor or liquid biopsies and DNA to diagnose eight different cancers, including pancreatic cancer. Wow. So there's a lot of hope going forward that with science, we'll be able to not only improve the treatment, but also improve the diagnosis. Because with pancreatic cancer, if we can improve the diagnosis and diagnose people earlier, mm -hmm. diagnose the rate of, of cure and treatment will escalate beyond the 11% where it is now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the late discovery. Yes. Yes. But in actuality, you had a fairly quick diagnosis. Compared to some people, yes. yes. But yes. very often you, you hear about people taking the time, running the test, going in to see if there's a back problem, looking mm -hmm. at other stomach organs, sure. trying to figure out what the, the issue is. So I think that your advice about being at a major research center is well taken. And Hopkins served you well. Yes, they, they have and continue to do so. Well, Leslie Waldman, I want to thank you for being a guest on It Happened to Me. You have a difficult illness and you have faced it with incredible courage and resilience. And we appreciate your candor and your honesty. Your advice will really help others facing pancreatic cancer or any debilitating disease. Our podcast is about building community and providing support. And I'm not alone and neither are you, Leslie. You are part of our community. God bless you. And again, thank you for being here today. Thank you for showcasing the pancreatic cancer story. Thank you, Leslie, for being our guest. And thank you for being my friend. <laughs> you bet that's easy. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact form on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. 
You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it if you can leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app like Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenge community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. I'm Kira Deneen from DNA Today, and I serve as our executive producer and marketing lead. Amanda Andrioli is our associate producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you.